Good morning, beloved. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Second Samuel, we're supposed to cover this morning 2 Samuel chapter 6 through 7. And we'll do our best to cover as much as we can. Um, but before we get into it, let's do some reading. Let's read all of chapter 6 and some of chapter 7. So follow along with me. Second Samuel chapter 6, beginning to read in verse 1, it says, Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahoy, the son of Abinadab, drove the, new, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahoy went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, uh, uh, sistrums and, sim- and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon, when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the ox had stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was, aro- uh, uh, was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of that place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of God come to me? So David would not, come, would not move the ark of God with him into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told, it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was... When those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with a shout and with a sound of trumpets. Now now as the ark of God came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through the window. And saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place. And in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it, then David offered up, uh, offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering, uh, offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people among the whole multitude of Israel, both women and men, to everyone, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of of raisins. 
So that all the people departed, everyone to his own house. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one as one of the base fellows, fellows shamelessly uncovered himself. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humbled in my own sight. But as for the maidservant of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the days of her death. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had had given him rest from all his enemies around him. that the king said to Nathan, the prophet, see, now I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of the Lord dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up, up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I have commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, and thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold and following the, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you made you a great name like the name name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people of Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set you, you set up your seed after you. He will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits Iniquities, I will chastise them with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed before you. And your house and your kingdom shall establish forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever, according to all these words and according to all these visions. So Nathan spoke to David, 
verse 18 says this. Then King David went in and sat down before the Lord and said, Who am I? Who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And so we find ourselves this morning in this passage, in this section, in this beginning section of 2 Samuel, as we begin, uh, our brother Brian began this ascension of David to, to his kingly right. He first came in and he asked the Lord, should I go up? After, after the death of Saul, he said, should I, where should I go up? And he said, go up to Hebron. And he went up to Hebron. And there in Hebron, he was recognized by the tribe of Judah. And there in Hebron, David became king over the tribe of Judah. But yet, all of Israel, all the tribes to the north did not align themselves with David. Did not recognize David as king. But slowly, as he waited on the Lord, he patiently waited on the Lord. And the Lord then brought the rest of Israel under his domain, under his authority. And we see slowly that David is being brought to the place which God had for him. First with Judah, now with all of Israel. And not just in Israel, but beyond that. For we read that that King Tyre would would recognize the throne of David and would send uh, all these laborers and, and these material to build David a house. And we see the Lord building up David and putting him in the place where he intended it to be, this place of honor. But yet, the Lord was not done with David. He had ascended to his throne and he had established him before the people, before the people around him. But in these two chapters, we're going to see that David needed to be established by the Lord. Yes, the people recognized him as king at this point. But now the Lord had to give him the stamp of approval before all his people. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, we read that these two chapters were all concerning the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of that covenant in which the two cherubim set upon. The place in which we read that the Lord of hosts dwelt. The place in which God manifested his presence. And you see, it was a very important thing. For David could rule in Jerusalem and have a mighty mighty fortress and a mighty mansion. But if God was not there in Jerusalem, he would lack the authority of God. And we see this very vividly later on in this this book. We see it when Absalom, his son, would, would try to usurp the kingdom from David. And David would flee from his city. And he would cross the brook Hidron and there with all the people. And it says that the priest would take the ark and go after David. Because they recognized that the ark established the authority of God to the king. And if the ark was with David, then God was with David. But you guys know the story. When David saw the the, the Levites come and Zadok came and he tells him, stop. Take the ark of the Lord back. Take it back to its tabernacle. And the faith of David, if the Lord delights in me, he says, he will return me. 
He will bring me back to Jerusalem where the Lord is, where the Lord is. That's where his authority is. David understood that. He recognized that. And there, the Lord would ultimately bring David back. The Lord was on David's side. And so we see the importance of the ark. So we come into our story and we read that David there, after the conquest of the Philistines, gathered in his house and and there was peace in the land. And and, and he then decided, you know what, we need to bring the ark of the Lord back to Jerusalem. Or or not back to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem, had never been there before. But the ark of the Lord had been in the house of Abinadab. He had been there for 70 years. The last time we talked about the Ark of the Lord was, was when the Ark of the Lord was, was taken by the Philistines. Remember the, remember the story? Eli's son foolishly took the Ark of the Covenant as if, as if it was a, a lucky charm into battle. And the Philistines took hold of it. And the Lord would not allow himself to be amongst the Philistines in their house as a, as a trophy. And the Lord plagued them to the point that they would return the ark of God to Israel. And the ark of God was put on a cart and sent back to Israel. And and again, the people did not honor the glory of the Lord. And And they got curious and they looked inside of it and many died. And many people feared the Lord. And therefore the, the ark would stay there in Kirjath Jerim in the house of Abinadab for 70 years it stayed there. And here is David. Now it's time to bring the ark back. To bring it into a tabernacle. And so David goes and does his best. And, and he would get a new cart and he would put the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord upon this cart. And there the sons of Abinadab led that, led that oxen and cart out of kirjath Jerim all the way to the city of David. And David had to learn a lesson that day. Had to learn a very important lesson. But read as, as, as they walked and traveled, David did everything he thought was right in the eyes of God. He, he got a new cart. He didn't get an old cart which had maybe some grain or wheat in it that was maybe dirty or dusty. He got a new cart. He, he did it reverently. And as they traveled, he, he, he sung and danced and, and had a procession for the Lord. Yet when they came close, And the oxen stumbled. And there the son of Abinadab, Uzzah, would reach out his hand to steady the ark. It says that the anger of the Lord arose against him and struck him. And he died instantly on that spot. And David was was dismayed. David was, was angry. He was frustrated. He was afraid. I thought I was doing the right thing. What is going on? Why would the Lord do this to to, to this man? And we must consider that. Why would he? 
Why would he strike this man Uzzah who, who served before the ark most of his life probably? He struck him down because he did not follow God's ordinances. And he treated the throne of God as a simple thing. As an idle thing. The principle, ultimately the principle is idolatry. Listen, Isaiah puts it this way, right? Listen, all the nations, they have their idols. They make their idols. And they carry their idols. They have to support their idols. But the evidence of a true God. It's not one that you have to uphold, not one that you have to carry, but it's one that carries you. You see, Uzzah stuck out his hand to lift and to carry God's throne and directly violated God's law in Numbers chapter 4. And he died. You know, sadly, Abinadab was a Levite. His sons were a Levite. They should have been taught the law. They should have been taught the the law of Moses and how to transport the ark, how to handle the ark, how to approach the ark. Yet here they are, leading the ark. That's That's the other thing, too. Leading the ark. Not the Lord leading them, but they leading the ark. And the Lord struck them. And David... David was afraid, and David would not bring the ark of the Lord into his city, but he would leave it there close to the city, into the house of this man, the Gittite, um, uh, Obed-Edom the Gittite. And he says, for three months he was there. For three months the Lord's ark was in this man's house, and the Lord prospered this man. But you know, something wonderful happened in those three months. Yes, David saw the goodness of, of God and desired to bring God near him. But David also did something very important. It's not written for us here in this account. But if we return to Chronicles, uh, I believe in Chronicles chapter 15, David went home and opened the law. Opened the law and began to read. And began to inquire of the Lord, what did I do wrong? What was I supposed to do? For when David decided then, now is the time to go get the ark. In Chronicles, he says he calls out to the Levites. He calls out to those uh, of the tribe of Aaron to, to, to come and consecrate yourself. To set yourself apart. To put on your, 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 your linen ephods. To get ready to bring the ark of God. You see, David learned from his mistake. Recognized that the ark of God was the very presence, the very throne room of God. And the approach to his presence is not one that can be dealt with haphazardly. And we read his second attempt that he no longer was on a cart. But it was being bared on the shoulders of the Levites. On the shoulders of the Levites. 
And, as, and it says that as they walked down, it says they walked down the path, and when they got to six paces, David began the great celebration again. He sacrificed the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, and there was great music, and there was great worship of the living God. This is what David desired from the very, get, from the very beginning, to see the presence of God, the name of God being glorified by his people to being recognized and all the people gathered and there was great music and there was great shouting and there was great joy and David would be down there in the midst of it it's an important point David did not sit here in his royal robes with his crown and his scepter leading the Lord to Jerusalem He didn't walk down the streets as a dignitary with some place, some office of honor. David removed all that recognized him as king and remained in nothing but a white linen ephod. And he was no different than the the peasant or the pagan who would sit there and would dance and worship the living God. David David recognized this very important thing. That when it, become, when it comes to the presence of the living God, he is no different than anyone else. He is no different than anyone else. And he worshipped the Lord and he danced to his heart content as much as he could. It's a very important lesson. For Michael didn't understand that lesson. It's it's interesting how the word of God is very specific. It doesn't say Michael, David's wife. It calls her Michael, who? Saul's daughter. You know, one of the things that we we can do a lot with these stories is we, we compare and contrast David and Saul. And we see the stark contrast between David and Saul. You see, Saul was a man that, that was was. Strong within himself. He was head above shoulders everybody. We read there's even an instance where here is Saul building a monument to himself. And some of that mentality creeped into his offspring, Michael. And here is Michael. Not, not by the street side. Watching the Lord of hosts coming into the city. But where was she? Oh, she was in the house. She was in the house in the luxury of the palace looking out the window. And she looked down and there is her husband, the king of Israel, with no glory, with no majesty, on the streets with the people of God dancing. And it says that she loathed them in his heart. She despised them. For she began to think like her father Saul, that there was, there was more to be valued in, in, in what people saw about you. It's a sad story of Saul. There, when, when Samuel would tell Saul, listen, Saul, because of your disobedience, the Lord has taken the kingdom from you, Saul. Oh, and, and when Saul realizes, Saul weeps and cries, and he says, listen, But do this one thing for me. Honor me before the people. 
That's all Saul cared about. Saul cared about what the people thought. That the people would recognize him as king. That, the, that, that he would not lose his power. That he would not lose his place of, of influence. And here is David. Stripping all that away before the Lord. Recognizing that he is supreme over all things. And David marvelously, when that ark comes in, he offers peace offerings and burnt offerings. And, and there's a great feast there for the Lord. And, and then David blesses the people, blesses the children of Israel. A stark contrast from Saul. Here's David giving to the people. And Saul, in a different instance, saying, if any man would but eat food while, while, they're, while they're fighting, there'll be a great curse upon them. Here is David blessing the people, feeding the people, all of them. And then after he blesses Israel, he then goes back to his household to bless his household. And there Michael confronts him. And gives her two cents. Oh, how, how, how dignified was the king of Israel today, she would say. Like a commoner. Like a common man out there foolishly dancing around. Oh, but listen to David's words. David's words are so precious. Oh, that we would grasp these things. He says that, and I will be even more undignified, he says, than this. And I will be humbled in my own sight. He said, it, it was the Lord. I'm not doing this for anybody. It was the Lord was coming back in. The Lord was coming to our city. The Lord was coming into our home. He says, there is no dignity for me. I would be even more humbled and more undignified before the Lord. Let there be no glorified besides the glory of the Lord. Oh, to live a life like that. Unhindered by our, our own fleshly desires to, to be felt honored and wanted in all things. But to lay all those things aside and recognize that all glory belongs to him and him alone. Whatever that may be, however low the Lord may bring us, let him receive the glory forever and ever. And because of Michael's heart, because she despised her husband, the Lord punished her. And she was barren her whole life. Saints, we have to be careful, don't we? I bring this full circle back to us. Sometimes, sometimes we think we're so important that God can't do it without us. We can be like Uzzah, right? Oh, well, see, you see, if, 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 if Jamel's not around, I don't know how this place would move on. Saints, the Lord, his throne, he will support. He is king over it. He is sovereign over it. He's sovereign over your life. He's sovereign over the church. Saints, I tell you, a hundred years from now, this, this meaning may not be here. But you know what? The Lord supports His church.
the Lord will see his church thrive and move on. Whether we're here or not, the Lord is the source and the power of all things. We can't forget that. We cannot look to a man. We cannot look to a preacher. We cannot look to another. We recognize that it's the Lord who is king. He is sovereign. He is Lord over all things. And he is the source of all things. We are nothing but empty vessels for his use. And David understood that in a wonderful manner, in a wonderful way. And so we read, we move on quickly here as time is flying. That David sat in his house and there was peace around him. The Lord had blessed him with a time of peace. The Philistines were at bay and and, and there were no more wars at this time. And here is David sitting in his house. And sitting in a house of cedar. Now, there's significance in that. For in that part of the country, most houses were made of stone. Because of the, of the environment, stone was the only thing that would really last. And so all houses were made of stone. But cedar was a very precious wood. It was a very durable wood. And we read that he had a house of cedar. And he sat around and he looked upon his beautiful mansion. And he said in his heart, Lord bless him. I, I dwell in a house of cedar. And yet the Lord of hosts, the King of kings, Dwells in a, in a tent. In a house of curtains, he says. And he expresses his heart to, to Nathaniel. I mean, his heart to Nathan. And Nathan. Very impetuously. And I say impetuously. Would say, oh, that sounds great. It does. It sounds great. It sounds wonderful. Listen, David, do all that, that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. But the Lord had to put a pause in David's plan. For that very same night, it's interesting to know, right? If we go back a couple pages, every time that David was going to do something, when he was in battle with the Philistines, it says that he would inquire of the Lord. And the Lord says, go ahead and go up and do this. And David would do it, and there was great victory. And the Philistines would go over here, and so David would wait, and he would inquire of the Lord again. He had victory against the Philistines once already. He figured, oh, I already got this figured out. No, no. The next time he met him again, he stopped and inquired of the Lord. And so the Lord said, okay, this is what you're going to do this time. And the Lord blessed him. Yet in this one instance, his passion and zeal got ahead of him. And he didn't inquire of the Lord, but he went to the prophet of the Lord, and he would declare his heart. It's a wonderful heart. A man after God's own heart. Let's not, let's not belittle that in any way. But that was not the Lord's plan at that time. And so the Lord that very night would come to to Nathan and would say, Nathan, I have a message for my servant David. David, are you going to build me a house? He would say. In Chronicles, he puts it this way. David, you're not going to build me a house. And he lets David down lightly. Yes, David is getting ahead of God's plans. It's wonderful, but we have to wait on the Lord, don't we? And we see the Lord kindly brings David down. 
And he says to David, listen, David, I have not dwelt in a house, he says, since the time I came down to, 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 to redeem my people out of Egypt. And, I, and I've dwelt in a tent with them all through the wilderness. And, and, and as I travel with them through the wilderness and out of the wilderness and into the land and from battle to battle and from place to place, I've dwelt in tents for the sole purpose of what? Being amongst the people. And I could be their God and they could be my people. And the purpose that I may shepherd my people and I could lead them to the place where I want them. And he says this. Never did I ever pause and say, why have not you built me a house? Never did he stop to, to Joshua and say, Joshua, I'm, I'm, I'm weary of traveling. Build me a permanent location. He never stopped to, to Gideon and say, hey, listen, I, I, let's build a temple. You see, David, I never did that. Why? Because it's in his sovereign will, God was leading his people somewhere. And yes, there was going to be a time where there was going to be established a permanent temple. And God's will was for his son Solomon to do it. For, for many reasons. But the Lord was leading his people. And, and, and he reminds David. He says, David... Listen, when you were out there in the hills of Judea, watching your, your, your father's flock, shepherding the flock, did, did you in your heart, was it your idea, David, to become king of Israel? Did you have any ambition whatsoever to become king of Israel? Far from it. D David... It was you, it was me who brought you out of the sheepfold and has, has put you in this place. You see, David, I'm pulling the strings here. I have a plan. I have good purposes for my people. You see, David, I'm glad you want to build me a house. But David, I tell you, I'm going to build you a house. And we have this wonderful promise of the Davidic covenant. This Davidic covenant, covenant stands up there along with the Abrahamic covenant. In that it was a one-sided covenant. It was an unconditional covenant. And there the Lord promised David to build him a house. And not just any house, but a dynasty. And he would say, listen, you're going to have a son, and your son, he's going to rule. And he's going to build a house for my name. And I'm going to establish him and his lineage for a, 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 a perpetual kingship. Now, just like the Abrahamic covenant, this covenant here is twofold. We've been actually discussing this on Wednesday nights concerning the Abrahamic covenant. How the covenant itself is two-faceted. One speaks of the immediate promise of the covenant. Right? Abraham, I shall give you a seed, and through your seed all the nations will be blessed. And that seed, that promised seed, was immediately Isaac. That temporal seed was Isaac. Yet, but that promise was pointing to a greater, a more perfect seed. 
And Galatians speaks about it, doesn't it? That perfect seed, which is ultimately Jesus himself, Jesus Christ. And he was that perfect seed in which all the nations of the world were blessed. And here we have a very similar covenant, a very similar promise in which the Lord promises David a perpetual kingship. And that the Lord was going to honor him through his son, Solomon. And that all was true, wasn't it? For the Lord took Solomon and and the kingdom of Israel was never greater than through the reign of Solomon. Never was there more peace, never was there more riches for Israel than through the reign of Solomon. And so we read that these these, these promises were immediate to Solomon. But listen, our God is, is not that small. He's greater than just that. His promises further exceed just that. For it spoke of a future king. For hundreds of years later, there an angel would appear to a young little virgin named Mary. And would say, you will, you will, you will have a son. And he shall be the son of the Most High. And he will give him the throne of your father, David. You see, and the seed of David in Jesus Christ, his promise is fulfilled. His covenant is fulfilled in that there will always be a king of the line of David on the throne. And there, Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God in the majesties of heaven forever. As king. I've rushed through a lot of this, brothers and sisters. But it's a wonderful thing. We, we, we've, we've considered some of these things. And some of, these, some of this uh, imagery is just phenomenal. The Lord God would testify to David. Listen, David... I came down and I dwelt with my people from place to place to place and never got weary, never got tired, he says. Saints, I tell you that that is significant to you and I today. For the God of old, the God who never changes, would there in Exodus chapter 6 says, I have seen the plight of my people, I've heard the plight of my people, and I have come down. To redeem them. I have come down to save them. You see, the Lord saw the plight of his people, and he didn't send angels to redeem, but he himself went down and he dwelt with them, and he walked with them, and he toiled with them, and he led his people through the wilderness and through all the journeys and all the ups and downs, leading his people to, to the promised land to where God wanted him to be. And I tell you, saints. He does the same today. He does the same today. He takes us. Slaves to sin and Satan. And he comes down and he redeems you and I. Through the blood of his son. And and the ultimate purpose and the ultimate goal is to be in heaven with him. And to behold his glory, but between redemption and heaven itself. Guess who's who's alongside? 
Guess who's with you and I as we walk the wilderness journey of our lives? As we walk through the ups and downs, through the, through the, the victories and the failures of our life, He's there. He's always there. And He doesn't stop and say, you know what? I- I'm tired. You're taking too long. You're not getting it. He doesn't say, I, I, I didn't think it was going to take this long. No, he's there every step of the way. He doesn't take any shortcuts. He's patiently waiting for us to follow him. To follow him. To the ultimate purpose, to be in that place of promise, into that place of perfect peace. Unified with his son. Blessed be his name. Oh, when the Lord, when Nathan delivers this whole message to David. Yes, David was getting ahead of the Lord, but I love what David does. He says he goes down to the tabernacle and he sits before the throne of God. You see, the children of Israel before Saul, they said they wanted a king. Now, the, the, the Lord God provision, made provision in the law, back in the law of Moses, that Israel would have a king. And God was going to have them be reigned by a king. But the, the children of Israel wanted to get ahead of God's plans. And God warned them through Samuel. He said, listen, if you get a king, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be taxes. They're going to take your young men and your, your, and your young women. They're going to take the best of the land. They're, they're going to be... A snare unto you ultimately. But when God warned them, did the people relent? Did the people repent and say, Lord, you know best. No, what did they do? Oh, we know all those things. We understand all those things, Samuel. We still want a king. And the Lord would allow them to have Saul, the king of their heart. And what a nightmare that was. Yet when David here in the very similar instance would would look ahead and try to get ahead of God's plans. God would say, David, slow down. For I have a greater plan. Your desire is to, to build me a house. And yes, you will build me a house, but your son will build me a house. And my plans are far greater than that, David. I will build you a house. And listen, David, it goes beyond just a little a little stone building in which I will put my presence. But David, through your seed will come a man in which the Godhead bodily would dwell. And the wonder of that, that God would walk amongst his creation and God would use the person of Jesus Christ to walk upon this earth and to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. That we now First Peter would put it. We who are redeemed to God would become living stones. David, you want to build me an earthly temple? Listen, I have far greater plans. For the one that comes Jesus, in, in the promise of Jesus Christ, of your seed, he will reign forever. And he will build me a house. A house not built with simple stone, but built with living stones. And you and I are part of that perfect, beautiful temple in heaven. You see, David, my plans are far greater. And David took this all in and would sit down before God and would humble himself. And would humble himself. A beautiful thing. 
a humbled heart before the living God. To recognize that we don't know best. We may have good intentions, but we don't know best. He knows best. And David would sit there, and for the rest of the chapter, he would pour his heart out with, with, with joy and thanksgiving. He himself would, would become without words. He says, oh, Lord, he says, I, I, what, what, am I, what am I, David, supposed to say, he says. The, I, I, many of you know me. I, I get stuck with words all the time. I can't express myself. I, when, when I think of the love of, of Christ I, that, that constrains me, I, I don't know how to express myself. Yet David would sit there and would pen some of the most wonderful and beautiful psalms we have. Expressing the heart of a redeemed soul to his living God. And here he is dumbfounded with no words. Not being able to express the love of God towards him. Befuddled and captured and held captive by the love of God and the grace of God to him. May we learn these lessons from these passages in Second Samuel. Let us humble ourselves before the Lord. Let us recognize that all things are in His hands. Let us recognize that He upholds all things. And that in Him we have victory. Let us be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. Let us pray. Our Heavenly God and Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we read there that David would proclaim to you that you have spoken of me for a long time, he says. Oh, the wonder that you, the living God, would concern himself concerning a simple man, David. And we'd be concerned about him, not just in his lifetime, but in the future sense. And into eternity. Yet, Lord, that, that very simple principle, that very simple truth is true of us today, Lord. You have taken wretched sinners, nobodies, outcasts like we, we heard this morning, Lord. And yet you concern yourself with us. Yet you have much to say about us. For your word would declare he who begun a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ. And we, like David, can declare you have much to say about us, Lord, and we praise you for your grace. We praise you for your mercy, and we praise you for your love. I ask all these things in your Son's name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.